Hello and welcome to the Keen on Things podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Keen. I'm in a garage. I'm in a garage this week. I'm in my mom's garage in uh, Chandler, Arizona. And I think there's going to be an echo. There's going to be, is it reverb? It's just going to be an echo because there's no carpet on the floor. I'm just noticing that now as I like in the first three to five seconds that I started speaking. Uh, we'll see if it can regulate, modulate with some of the apps that, uh, with some of the uh, touch-ups that I do post. Going to be sniffing and sneezing because I've got allergies for about six weeks. It's just, I've had them all year. It, it's just getting worse. I got to go see an allergist. There's no way around it. This is like, when it's affecting your life, like you got to do something. And it's just too often. It's like, what's the excuse? I'm doing all the meds. Uh, it's dry here. Yeah, but it's dry in California. And I've been here a week now. So it's like figured out. Okay, so there's an echo because the flooring isn't carpeted. The walls aren't carpeted. If you go to sound rooms all, all around, uh, you know, L.A. or New York. I lived in L.A. 20 years. Um, I've been in sound rooms, you know, where they record sound, where they do albums, where they do VO for movies, TV shows, ads on the radio, online, whatever. There's carpet. There's padding on the walls. Keeps that sound in. Uh, and you don't hear that bounce back. It just dies. It's so great. So hopefully we can capture that once uh, in post. You know, we'll fix it. So I've been in Arizona for a week doing shows. I haven't done seven straight nights of shows in so long. It feels so good. Coming off stage tonight, I was like, you know, Sunday night shows are, are weird. We just did our last Sunday night, our last show of the week. Myself and um, Greg Barrett. And good, really good kid, really good uh, kid we were with. Um, um, name Luis uh, L.A. Alvarez, really strong. He's from here. <clears throat> anyway, um, seven straight nights. Haven't done that in a long time. Really feel good. Really feel like the rust is off and was really firing on all cylinders. I hate that I'm going to go back to not doing shows for a long time again because I have nothing on the books. I've got like one Friday night coming up in a couple weeks. Uh, so it's brutal. Okay. So just have to, you know, but I got a lot of writing done too. So the performance chops and then the writing too. So I can go to that once I get more shows i can be like wait i've got all this stuff stored and ready to ready to rock or at least ready to try out so um it's been a crazy week let me first do this okay i've been in arizona for a week it was the last second gigs they hit me up like nine days ago saturday and said hey do you want to do a week of shows it's going to be louis ck it's going to be uh joe gatto from uh impractical jokers and then it's going to be greg barrett who wrote the book he's just not that into you um and I'm going to talk about all that. I'm going to talk about all three because three very different acts, you know, um, and we'll talk about all three. First, let me do an ad here really quick um, for Script Pipeline. Guys, they're great. What a great company. I've been working with them, with Chad Clough and Matt Misitich. Uh, hands-on. They're hands-on. They're involved. They see every uh, level of the operation. Is that a thing? I remember in, a, in a different strokes, Conrad Bain, Mr. Drummond, he ran the plant or the factory and all the workers. There was an episode where they're like, man, your old man used to, uh, Mr. Drummond, your dad used to come down and check on us. And he becomes more hands-on with the company and the firm. And so you felt better about him being rich, rich even though I'm sure the factory workers are getting screwed too. But uh, it was the 80s, you know? What a great time. Okay. 
Uh, so that Chad and Matt are hands-on. Script Pipeline, guys, is a uh, phenomenal service. They discover, develop, promote film and television writers. I can't talk too loud or it's going to echo in the garage in my mom's house on a late Sunday night here as we post this for the upcoming week. I got to drive back tomorrow. Day off, right? Three-day weekend. Okay. Script Pipeline discovers, develops, promotes film and t- TV writers, <clears throat> helping them get repped and connected with the industry, the show business industry. <laughs> when you submit, you submit for coverage and then possible leads to representation. Okay. You got someone in, in, in there fighting for you, which is great, right? You got that necessary evil, that agent, that manager, that promoter, whatever. They're in there submitting your work, fighting for you. And you, you can focus on the artistic side. You can focus on the creative and all those necessary evils are just canceling each other out and, you know, backroom deals and all that stuff. And you just keep writing and being you from wherever, you know, Hawaii, from South Africa, from, you know, Denmark, Prague, you know, other places, right? Lebanon, wherever you want to send in your script from. Uh, they give great notes. They give us great strategic advice. They have their finger on the pulse of the current climate in the to- in this topsy-turvy industry. And they have competitions as well. Finalists, not only winners, finalists, but final two, final four, final, I don't know, whatever. They have their work looked at by even more people. They have looked at by people in the business, agents, managers, development execs, writers, producers, all in touch with this company. So this is the link. Uh, they help you get exposure, secure deals, acquire representation, sell projects, establish relaciones, establish relationships, get connected. Script Pipeline is joined by Film Pipeline, Book Pipeline, and Pipeline Artists, uh, a new platform to educate and inspire emerging creatives, right? Because this can happen at any age. You can know in high school that you want to do this. You can be in retirement, early retirement, late retirement, 65, 66, is that the new age? And be like, I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, The guy who wrote uh, King's Speech, right? I think he won an Academy Award in his either 60s or 70s. He wrote that. In his acceptance speech, he said, my father always called me a late bloomer. Hilarious. Concise, phenomenal movie. Got the Academy. Um, So Script Pipeline is the link. Don't need to move to Hollywood to follow this dream. Best of both worlds. Chase your dream and do it from home. Chase your dream and do it from home. Chase while seated, you know in your love seat, on your couch, whatever, in your bed. That should be their motto. Chase your dream and do it from home. Uh, did I just give them a million-dollar motto? Did I just do a commercial? Remember that from Annie when Daddy Warbucks did that? Okay, so what's that ad? That was, the, okay, I tried to do it in 30 seconds, but that was like a three-minute ad. Not bad. Okay, they're getting there. They're getting some good airtime. Uh, doing this podcast has really freed up my dendritic activity synapses. I don't know if anything good has happened as a result, but it gets me flying and my brain moving and less resistance. Um, But I'm definitely thinking freer, clearer. So as absurd as anything I say is, it would be even more absurd if I weren't saying it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Wow. As absurd as anything I say is, it would be more absurd if I weren't saying it. Yeah, this is me making sense of thoughts. It's just like, like, Letting air out of the balloon. Okay. Uh, Arizona all week, last minute gigs, had to take. One of those where you have to take. I opened for Louis C.K. Wow, legend. And that's how I introduced him. I'm like, how much, How do you want to be introduced? He's like, uh, less is more, you know, with as little fanfare as possible. So it was like, you know, I'm from his specials, from an appearance on about every TV show ever. Please welcome a legend, Louis C.K. Took the stage, killed. 
Um, <clears throat> and did about an hour, did about 55 to an hour every night. Was it five shows we did together? And uh, great guy, warmed up, got to talk in the last uh, night. We had two shows the last night, and in between the shows, he's just holding court in the green room. Phenomenal, right? The reason you do it. Um, you know, you spend time with Joe Montana, right? Tom Brady, stuff like that. Chris Rock, Jerry Seinfeld, Dolly Parton, Oprah, stuff like that. Margaret Thatcher. I don't know what that means. <clears throat> okay. Uh, Harriet Tubman. What? What? What am I trying to get any, every demographic in? Uh, so, yeah, it was phenomenal. And I just want to sit with that for a second. Louis C.K., he had water and he had notes that he'd bring on stage. So I couldn't really shake his hand. I did shake his hand a couple times throughout the week, but I couldn't shake his hand when he's coming to stage or leaving. And so that that's kind of a, a that's a kind of a funny weird energy. So you kind of pat him on the back because you want to do something. I'm very kind of affectionate. And I want to really connect with people. Sometimes I'll take I'll I'll say to a uh, server at a restaurant, "Thank you, love. Thank you, friend. Uh, thank you," because you want to say something more to make them feel comfortable. Um, and I try to you know, my niece Ryland's like that too. She kind of brings people in. Um, so that was kind of a, a weird thing on and off because I wasn't sure if he was comfortable touching stuff like that or if he didn't want to be touched. I'm fine either way, but I also don't want to be rude and slight anyone. I was bummed that I didn't get a chance to say goodbye to him because when he signed out with last gig and I was going to outro him, hey, that was Louis C.K., thanks for coming out. Uh, I was going to outro him. By the time I got back to the green room, he was gone before the crowd you know, dispersed. When you're that big as Louis C.K. is, you can have the checks drop after the show, which is what they do in Canada, which is what they should do everywhere. But in American comedy clubs, they have that check drop. It's called the check drop about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through your show. And you notice the energy leaves the room because everybody starts looking at the bill, their bill, right? Everybody at the same time. And it's just awful. And in Canada, they just, it's like the show's over, then they do it. Then you pay. And when you're a big enough name, then you could do it here in the States. And Louis was. So when I would outro him, I'd have to go up, all right, guys, thank you, Louis C.K., that was great, right? Okay, be on the lookout for his next hour. It's going to be an amazing special. And uh, just sit tight. Your servers will get to you. We'll settle up, and we'll get you out of here. In the meantime, listen to music, have another drink. Thank you. I'm Patrick Keene. We'll see you again. Please come back to the club. Uh, and by the time I get back to the green room, he's gone. He wants to beat the key. He's been through it, right? I think he's 54, 55. And, uh, you know, he's been through it all. He doesn't need to stick around and get accolades. Just phenomenal. Listening to his hour every night. And then he listens to it, re-listens to it on his mini cassette recorder. And it was so tight. And it's so good. Every joke. Now, he was... Um, Okay, we'll go to... Okay, so Joey Gatto was the second. I, so I was at Louis for three nights, then Joey Gatto from Impractical Jokers, uh, the f- fourth night, and then Greg Barrett, writer of the book, He's Just Not That Into You, writer for Sex in the City, uh, three nights, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So to open for three different acts, three different energies, three different venues, in the same town is something else, Okay. 
Uh, so that was, it was kind of a crazy week. So we'll start really quick with Louis CK. Just amazing shows, amazing new hour, very strong. So funny from the first words he opened with, I'll, I'll just say this joke. I can't, I'm not going to say other jokes that he did, but he would open with, all right. So good to be here. This is what I like about Phoenix anyway. And it was, it was hilarious. It crushed. It crushed. <laughs> He did a special here. I had to remind him that he did a special here. So I was like, you did a special here. He's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, you were in the round. You were on a round stage. And uh, he's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because Carlin had done a special on that same stage in that same theater. You can Google it. I forgot the name of it. Um, but nobody's ever done a comedy To do a comedy special on a round stage. And he was explaining you have to be at the back of that little circle that you're on stage with. Because all your eye line your eyesight, the triangle that you kind of speak to is bigger. If you're at the front of that circular uh, stage, you're only, you're, you're blocking out so much of the round audience. So you have to talk from the back of the circle. It's nothing I'd ever have any interest in doing. I like that wall. I kind of like that finite thing. I don't want to have to spin around. Um, his material spotless. He is a purist, right? He's on shows and movies, but he is honing his craft. So not only does he go on to murder these shows, he dropped a lot of wisdom in their green room backstage. Um, the main thing, like he lives in New York, and the main thing he stressed in stand-up is keeping it separate from show business because it has nothing to do with show business. That's what he spoke about. Most L.A. comics don't not keep show business separate myself included from stand-up you know it's like stand-up's just this one of five things you're doing and louis is all about the stand-up and a lot of new york comics are all about the stand-up um most la comics are doing every category of entertainment and they keep writing the writing aspect they keep that in the minimum i was guilty of this at times I've got lost along the way where I get where I'm like, wait, I haven't done any writing for standup and it really shows. Um, but whenever in my career I locked it down and just wrote standup, just performed standup, I would always advance. I always get results. So I don't, and I'm finally figuring it out that like, oh, if I wrote some of these gems, I can write more gems. I don't need to cling to those gems and not worry about, you know, like we're eight and no. So keep playing games. Don't worry if you lose because you're still going to be 12 and 4. You know, um, from about 2011 to 2019, I got caught up in trying to sell show ideas. Sizzle reels is what they'd call it. I make little sizzle reels. Three, four-minute show ideas. Teasers, trailers to take those around town and try to sell them because I wanted big picture. I wanted the big stuff. I took my foot off the writing pedal. Okay, the gas. Um, you live in L.A. among so much showbiz money, so you do that. Uh, anyway, I'll stop saying, uh, hopefully. I've done it a couple weeks in a row now. Louis is a purist. He loves the stand-up. He loves the clubs. He's happy to be out of the arenas, not theaters. He was beyond theaters. He was doing arenas. He was hopping on private planes, private jets. After his shows, he was saying he would leave a town after a show, and he could sometimes look down as he'd leave that town and see the crowd still leaving his shows. 
that's surreal. He talked about his life being so good and he was levitating. Um, he said it was too good. He said he couldn't feel himself. He, uh, he couldn't feel any, as he says it, drag on his wings. You know, you're flying, you want a little drag, you want a little resistance because it means you're connected to something. Um, it makes sense, you know, probably like biking on level ground or uphill when you're biking downhill and you're like, this is too easy. You know, I'm not really doing the work. Um, he says you need to be able to feel life pushing back. He talked about when you perform in an arena, let's say Madison Square Garden, the crowd is so far away. It's very detached. You're a speck. So they're really watching you on the jumbotron. And they're having a large Pepsi with ice, like you buy at 7-Eleven, you know, supersize. And he's like, that's not the stand-up I want to do. That's what he was saying. And he says, um, once someone sees you in an arena, they've capped out. That's it. And you probably won't ever have them come to see you at a club again. That's what the, his words. I don't agree. I mean, that's not true for me. I saw Chris Rock at, I think it was Universal Amphitheater or whatever theaters at Universal Studios. And I would go see him in a club, in a bar, anywhere, anytime. You know, but I'm also obviously a comic and a comedy fan. The average fan might not go after it's an arena. Louis, Bill Burr, Gaffigan, Rock, Chappelle. They've gotten big. They've gotten so big that they're put in movies. George Carlin, Richard Pryor, right? That doesn't mean that was their goal. They were still about the stand-up. Uh, you're not, uh, there you go. You're not going to see them go do a, a stand-up show because of some movie they were in. Maybe with Chappelle, if you like Chappelle's show, if you didn't know him before, and the Chappelle show was the first thing. But those names I've just said, they are not phoning in an act. They are not phoning it in. Um, David Spade is one of my favorites, but he's not quite the purest that those guys are. I'm sure by his own admission, right? He's a TV personality, and I love that guy. I'd love that guy's career, and I love that guy's career. He's one of my favorite comics and people, and I cannot stop smiling and laughing when I see him. Just a little snot and all his stuff. But, I mean, he's kind of him, maybe Drew Carey, funny guys, Bob Saget, like... Those guys, you know, they had the TV uh, familiarity to help push the career, right? Um, so that's kind of what we're talking about here in this episode. Um, am I getting to the core of the episode? 18 minutes in. Great. Jesus. There's like a difference between stand-up comics and celebrities, right? And there's plenty of celebrities now that just go, oh, shit, I'm just going to tour and have a following whether it's youtube or they're just celebrities from tv because i'll just get people in the room for an hour mick foley's a wrestler from the late 80s early 90s i opened for him in tampa once you know there's not a lot of laughs there's stories they talk they're good at talking for an hour or bad at it but they've got a following that buys those tickets it's a very it's a good lesson in economics and stuff like that i can't imagine anyone's awake this is a good episode to sleep because i'm in the garage i'm trying to talk under the sound uh, barrier here. Um, there's very few people who can pass as a celebrity and comic, like people that are mainstream, but also pure comedy nowadays. You know, Spade is 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 one of those like comics, but he's also in the mainstream. Howard Stern, comedic, also in the mainstream, but they're hard. They're core. They're great. They're bona fide, right? 
Ricky Gervais, phenomenal. He's a great the Oscars and the and the Emmys, Grammys, Golden Globes, whatever they they have him host because people who wouldn't otherwise watch watch, and when they don't have him, nobody watches. And when they do have him, he makes fun of the whole thing. And the elites, elitists are like, we don't want him back. He's making fun. Well, he's also bringing you ratings because nobody, let me tell you something. Nobody knows when the Academy Awards are anymore. I don't even know what's being nominated. I was knee deep, knee, waist, neck deep in this business. I have no idea what movies are out. Uh, I have no idea what's nominated. I, I don't really care. I'm not motivated by movies anymore, which is a bummer because I loved them. I don't know when the last time I was in a the theater was. Um, okay. Other mainstream people but also genuinely funny not just commercially funny that's what i'm talking about it's not just commercially funny but genuinely funny but also big commercially spade howard stern ricky gervais charles barkley not even a comic a comedic personality for sure but he's in the mainstream but he's also he says some edgy things it's great it's refreshing right uh letterman and uh johnny carson could get much deeper into things than these guys now doing hosting the late night shows uh i just feel like it's so commercial you know it's very you know personalities in the mainstream who are just not fun like they're just a face on camera ryan seacrest carson daly that's great they're hard workers and that's fantastic but they're just like brokers to entertainment you know it's not entertainment to me it's def definitely not comedy. It's fine, right? It's what they're there for. They signed on for it. They're making money, great careers. Um, but the names we listed before here are phenomenal comedic legends. They're great. They're funny. They walk the line, right? They don't tip the scales to the left like a lot of the uh, show business personalities have tried to do. Uh, those guys keep it pretty level, right? Right down the middle. Uh, God, I feel like I talk about the same thing every episode. Do I? I don't know. Write me and let me know. Patrick Keen at Hotmail.com. K-E-A-N-E, -E, just like the band in England. All right, so Louis C.K. packed the club in ways I've only seen twice before. Packed five shows, which is, I think, the most. I've packed it to the point that there's no seat in the showroom. I couldn't get my own brother who lives in town into one show by himself for one seat the club couldn't budge it's a 40 to 50 dollar seat because it's new material last second booking sold out immediately um and then a two item minimum so that's another 25 so it's like 75 bucks at least solo and they're like yeah sorry we need the rev um and nobody was coming alone you come with two people 75 turns into 150 which is probably 200 because you're together with someone. If you're alone, you'll have two drinks. But if you're with someone, you're two or three, four. Anyway. So Louis C.K., this was a big one. And then two other occasions. Once when I was opening for Joel McHale at the Irvine Improv. That was just a one-nighter in the middle of the week. Packed to the gills. Didn't have a place for me to sit or stand. Brought him up on stage. Had to go in the back lobby where I could kind of hang out. And then also just hung out outside and listened to it on TV. Because it was too packed. The height of talk soup or whatever. Um, and then he was also on community. I, I, I'm sure with the podcast he does with Ken, Dr. Ken, I'm sure he still does it. And he's just up there telling stories. He's telling Kardashian stories. You know, he's not a guy that came up in New York and nightclubs, funny enough guy, funny enough stories, but it's not, you know, by his own admission. Um, and then when I was opening for Trevor Noah in San Francisco, four shows, six shows, couldn't get my friend Joe Ferris into one, one seat, one show, nothing. His whole entourage of 
managers and agents were there. Um, okay, so those two that I just said, Joel McHale and Trevor, both TV personas, pretty faces, clear formula to write for, but they packed it. And this is kind of what Joey Gallo was, you know, and he, by his own words, same thing. He's a celebrity comedic actor, famous, has the show, uh, has a following, packed the place, one show only. Nicest guy in the world. So happy and grateful for his success. He is, I am. Uh, I think that show's hilarious. It's the four impractical jokers. They're all from Staten Island. They grew up together. It's a great team. They're synergy. They could protect each other. They could have, um, they got each other's backs. They make themselves the punchlines and those hidden camera things, which is the biggest difference. Uh, and we were just laughing. I was talking, they shake their heads, just going into some of the stunts. Um, even though they've been through it so much and they're still shaking each other's heads at the challenges they give each other. Uh, and he's gracious and he's getting into stand up and he's pals with Steve Byrne. And, you know, Steve will help him get his stand up legs, I'm sure, or wings. Am I right, Eagles? So it was Louie for three nights and Joe for a night. And it was a crazy transition because stand-ups are intense in the green room. It, that's their dojo, right? Celebrities doing stand-up, more of a party, fun, festive, meet and greet, more of a hangout on stage. Um, again, Spade, Louis Anderson, Bob Saget, through stand-up, got far enough. Then they can live in both worlds. Cedric the Entertainer, stuff like that. Steve Harvey, you get big enough, get some writers behind you. Um, and then you can do kind of just enough, but, uh, as far as wanting new stuff, those names we listed earlier, Mark Maron, purist, right? Bill Burr, Seinfeld rock. They are not phoning in a set. They are not letting their celebrity drive the show. You know, Mark from standup, Joe Rogan, you know, more from TV, you know, he rode the success train from the beginning, started in standup. It got him far enough along, and he excelled in multiple areas. Comedic actor, show host, MMA announcer, podcaster. I weirdly prefer Rogan's podcast when he has non-comic guests on. Okay, maybe because I know a lot of them, so I, you know, it's like nothing new for me to hear them or interesting. Like, But if he has Neil deGrasse Tyson, Jordan Peterson, Abby Martin, Kyle Kalinske, Neil DeTurf, Tyson instead of grass, Neil. Okay. Uh, I love that Henry Rollins episode from like five or six years ago. That really resonated. I think it's like three or four years ago. Uh, just the way he lives his life and has half a cup of coffee in the morning and then the other half at night. He saves it. It's just, I'm just like, dude. And he like counts out his pull-ups and watches his diet and listens to all this punk rock music and just constantly listening Anyway, Rogan has people I love, and he has people that I don't love, right? I'm not going to say their names um, because I don't want to promote them and give them more time than I think they deserve on this planet because I don't think they're um, passionate. I'm sorry. I don't think they're compassionate. I don't think they mean well. I don't think they care about humanity, um, some of the people. Anyway, uh, there's all kinds out there, right? I'm trying to be more tolerant in my life and just be like, look, I don't like that person's style on stage, that comic, but they're successful, that they're allowed to succeed in life without my approval. I don't need to love them, okay? I needn't pay it any mind. Control your own brain. And that's harder than it sounds, right? Uh, again, with all this, I don't know what I'm talking about at all. I'm just thinking out loud, which is what this podcast should be called is thinking out loud. God, if you're not asleep by now, you're not getting to sleep tonight. Uh, okay, we're almost done here. Greg Barron is the third comic I was opening for all weekend. 
Greg Barrett is a writer, like he's writer based. He's not out there selling t-shirts after the show. He's not really doing meet and greets. There's plenty of people to come see him, but he's like, you know, he's writer. He's in his head. Brilliant guy. Been through a ton family, two daughters. I've always thought he was brilliant. Um, done shows with him over the years. This is the first weekend where I think he remembered me and might remember me. Knows music really well, plays music, wrote the revolutionary book. He's just not that into you. He tells that story on stage. He was writing on Sex in the City. He talks about this on stage. And he was the one male heterosexual kind of POV, point of view on the writing team. Gay, women, as you can see. And it's, the show was created by a gay man. And uh, I've even talked to women writers in Hollywood. And they say, yeah, it's a gay man's point of view. You can tell. I, I couldn't tell. I'm a straight guy. So I was like, uh, oh, I wouldn't know the difference. But it's been stressed to me by women writers in L.A. that that is a gay man's POV, which is okay, cool. Um, so Greg was on that staff as basically the straight man's POV. And there was a woman writer talking to him about a possible date, a possible guy that she liked. And this guy was dodging her. And she's like, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? And Greg just came out. And Flat said, look, from what you're telling me, this guy's not that into you. He's just, it's not, it's not happening. She's like, really? What? No, because this, and he's like, no, he, he would have made much more of an effort here, there, everywhere. And one of the other writers overheard this conversation and she said, uh, Greg, you need to write a book called He's Just Not That Into You. And we just, and she helped him with it. They're co-writers on it. And they broke it down and they were like, if this is the case, call it off. If this is the case, call it off. If this is the case, call it off. He is into you. If this, if that, which is great. It cleared up. Unfortunately, probably broke up a ton of relationships, but, uh, you put your, you know, you draw your line in the sand. Um, Greg is very present in conversations. You're talking to him in the green room. It's great. He hosted a talk show, uh, for years, daytime talk show. He, He looks punk rock. So I don't know if, that was part of it because the image, the glasses, the, the t-shirt jeans and the chain wallet. Uh, I can't, that book has to still be selling. That must have made him so much money. Okay. Uh, he does therapy for people. You're going to see the whole package when you go see Craig. It's not just silly and laughter. It's like a one man show a little bit. He's brilliant. Punk rock, alt rock, rock and roll, great hair. Um, the music guys always have great hair, right? What is that about? Kind of all in their 50s. Uh, Greg Barrett, Joe Sibb is a comic with some of the best hair I've ever seen. Shannon Haddad. Like, what's going on? He knows music, too. So, um, And, so, okay, we're wrapping this up. Sorry. And I feel like, yeah, we're at 30 anyway. So I didn't want to put any of the comics' names in the title of this episode. I didn't want it to be misconstrued, you know, and just it would have thrown up some flags. Louie was Me too kind of Me Too'd um, a couple years ago, but it was it's a gray Me Too, right? I wanted to do a joke that he got Me one not Me Too'd, but Me one get it? All right, because his actions didn't involve uh, physical contact with the other person. I'm just being objective on this. I'm going to get crucified if whatever the social justice warriors, who knows, right, uh, hear this, but... He did, it didn't involve physical contact. The incidents, they seemed consensual, although some of the witnesses, uh, there's a few different girls, I think there were five or six total. Some of them say they felt forced to stay and that he was using his career leverage to maybe uh, intimidate, to dictate, uh, 
to force them into that situation in the first place. I don't think any of them would feel like they were in danger with him. You know, he's not in the best shape. And those girls who he did that to were in fit shape and could probably get out of the situation. Who am I to say? I'm just saying consider this, right? Kamal Bell, the comedian, show host, says it best when he says, when the comedy community heard about one of these incidents of what he did, it was more like, Louis, what? wow, man, these comedy festivals are crazy, you know, like college in the 80s or 90s. Just weird stuff happens. So it was kind of dismissed. And that's the justification, and I think that's good enough because that's how it was, right? We all are operating within the parameters of whatever time period we're existing. All of a sudden, everybody looks in the past and thinks they should have been a superhero, and they would have seen it so differently. Like, like the benefit of time wasn't necessary for them to have understood in those moments. Um, okay, so I didn't want to put any names in the episode to tilt it or, or red flag it or whatever and get trolls listening, just looking for things to attack uh, and listen to the podcast for the wrong reasons. You know, God forbid I have people listening for the wrong reasons because man, they are in attack mode. It's merciless out there. And that's one of the things I like about the Joe Rogan podcast. People can come on and debate, you know, it's, it's an open forum and he can call you to task, but he's not going to, he's not there to humiliate you. Because there you have, you know, share time, right? Share time. Okay. Amazing week. Driving to gigs from my mom's house south of the city, a little rough. Okay. Especially the last three or four nights because it was all the way up Scottsdale. It's about a 45-minute drive each way. Uh, But definitely worth the drive. Also got a guest spot one night at JP's Comedy Club in Mesa near my mom's house with Yoshi and Brian Scalaro. That was great. Um, Those guys are hilarious too. Really felt like a stand-up comedian for a week. It's been nice. So we'll see how much more opens up and how um, aggressive. South Orange County, it's, it's kind of tough. You can't just hop on trains like you can on the East Coast. Okay, anyway, um, people are done being cooped up. They're done, man, nationwide. Uh, in Arizona, I don't even know, know that they recognized COVID. But uh, hopefully the cruise ships open up and get back out there doing some work. I said last week that it was Boeing who had the deal with the Girl Scouts. They don't have the deal. It's Raytheon. Raytheon has the uh, deal with the Girl Scouts. They have a contract. We're there in cahoots. Interesting. Uh, Okay, that's all. Guys, thanks for listening. Great week of stand-up. Hope to get some more shows, dates. I'll post those. And I really hope uh, people aren't listening to this podcast out of sympathy. I hope it brings you something because it's bringing me something. All right, Keen on Things podcast. Uh, Click subscribe and then Keen of Comedy on all social media platforms. Thank you very much. We'll talk later.